Time for us to take a look at our uh, midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Good morning to you on this Monday as we get things started with a little bit of a cooler day than what we were facing. And hopefully that's going to stick around for a little while anyway. As uh, I'll, I will certainly take that. We turn it over to Susan Littlefield. And Susan, you were telling me like a few others around here, you guys got a lot of rain a Sunday morning, huh? We did. Saturday going into Sunday. It was one of those, um, I almost said snowstorms, one of those <laughs> thunderstorms that rattles the entire house mm. as, you know, the thunder cracks. But we got five inches, and the our dry creek bed is running today, and I know that we had some lowland flooding uh, being talked about from the Big Blue. But, you know, it was like perfect timing, as I talked to a producer this morning, because he was contemplating turning his pivots on this weekend. And he says Mother Nature showed he could save some money. Well, that's for sure. And and it was a soaker. That I've never heard it rain so hard for so long. It was really, it was really something. So anyway, we got, was, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was nice because it came with no wind, so that right. made it better. Straight down. <laughs> that's yes. for sure. Well, what do you got for us today, Susan? Well, we're going to find out more from Gary Stone on irrigation. Bruce Gorder caught up with him as they look at irrigation in the panhandle. We know that they had a breach out there. So he talks a little bit more about that. At 1245, you ever thought about being a pork producer? Well, Bill Winkleman joins me. He talks about expansion of pork in Nebraska as he looks at it from a National Pork Board standard. And then stepping in at 117 will be Bryce as we talk with Brandon Honeycutt of Giltner about Corn Congress, the committee work, and growing the organization. So a busy Monday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Susan. Have a good day. You too. Turn it over to Jason Jorgensen, who is back after being in Chicago for a while. What do you got for us? Today? Uh, we'll hear from Husker Khalil Davis. It will be a brotherly affair along the Nebraska defensive line this year. You have two pairs of brothers, Davis twins and the Daniels brothers. And Khalil has an interesting take on the dynamic of the Daniels brothers that I think people can relate to. He is, he's a fun interview, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's just a real gregarious guy. So uh, we'll touch on that. Also coming up in sports, the Nebraska Coaches Association All-Star Games get started today with the girls' basketball game at 6, boys at 8. Some kids from the region will be involved in those. I'm not certain, but uh, in the past, NET has always uh, telecast those. I've seen no reason why they wouldn't do it again uh, uh, this year, so we'll talk about that. Also, Legion baseball tournaments continue. Last night, Kozad, I saw a 1-5-1-5 triple play pulled off by Minden against McCook. Was that in a pickle or something like that? Or it was a line drive. They doubled the kid off at third, yep. and then the third baseman tossed the ball thinking it was the third out. The McCook runner from second tried to go to third. The Minden pitcher picked up the ball, threw it to third. They tagged him out. That's how you get a 1-5-1-5 triple play. Just like Abner Doubleday put it together, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. And in here for some business, got some business with us, is Dave Schroeder. How are you? Well, doing good. Stocks have edged higher at the opening on Wall Street, but there's been little momentum as the morning wears on. Right now, the Dow down about 4.5 points, NASDAQ up 50, S&P up 5, and there's been a dip in fuel prices. Hmm. Well, I don't, I, that doesn't break my heart too much. Yes, absolutely. All right, very good. Thank you. That's all coming up on Midday. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, 
certainly has cooled down a little bit, a little bit more manageable. There's some really hot days, and I noticed that uh, June was the hottest month on record across, I mean, in general. Oh, uh, across the world? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, But it certainly, the last couple of weeks felt like the <laughs> hottest ones. That's really Exactly. Cool. Of course, yeah, we are in the peak of the summer yep. heat. Late July or into early August is when we do have that uh, peak summer heat across our area. Uh, getting a break from it today, but it's more heat on the way by the end of the week. It looks like that will be sticking around. They've kind of flipped on the long-term forecast. They were th- kind of thinking July would end on a cool note, but now it's looking like it will be on a warm note. Okay. Now, when you say warm, are you talking seasonal? Uh, or are you above talking normal. Above, so uh, above normal, yeah. So, okay. And, and right. typical this time of year, upper yeah. 80s to low 90s so okay. across right. the region. So, But right now, much cooler than what we were experiencing late last week. Temperatures right now low to mid-70s for the most part across the area. We do have a few upper 70s as you handed to eastern areas of Kansas. Temperatures in the 60s right now to around 70 over western Nebraska and eastern Colorado. That's where they do have a fair amount of cloud cover that's going to be sticking around for a while. 69 on the temperature at Imperial. That compares with some mid-70s as you headed to eastern Nebraska. But once again, most of us in the low and mid-70s across the area. The cooler air from this last weekend's cold front. Going to be reinforced by high pressure settling in from the Dakotas for today through tomorrow. Temperatures about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than normal for today and tomorrow. And some mainly light easterly winds as that area of high pressure settles out to our east. The midweek into the weekend, though, will be warmer, mainly dry. Rich high pressure starts to expand east from the Rockies. Wednesday night into Thursday night, that ridge will flatten to allow some weak disturbances to track east for a small chance of some thunderstorms. By the end of the week, the temperature is expected to warm back to more seasonal levels. Pretty quiet this week as far as weather goes, and nothing too far out of the ordinary. The long-term forecast warms up even more. Warmer than normal temperatures are now predicted for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the first four days of August. Not a lot of rain either. Near normal to below normal rainfall is forecast this weekend through the 4th of August for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors affecting market trade include cooler weather, reducing the stress on developing crops in the Midwest, but keeping crop development behind normal and favorable weather for the winter wheat harvest. Near or below normal temperatures and little rain will dominate the country in the next several days. In the Midwest, Central and Southern Plains, the cooler weather is easing the stress to developing corn and soybeans, especially in especially pollinating corn after the recent heat. Crop development, though, is still well behind normal in most areas of the Midwest. Thanks to the hot and dry weather last week, the winter wheat harvest is nearly complete in Kansas, and that wheat harvest is increasing in Colorado and Nebraska. The Northern Plains crop weather will be generally favorable for developing corn, soybeans, and spring wheat. The crop development, though, for corn and soybeans in the Northern Plains remains significantly behind below uh, normal. Otherwise, the Delta has a chance today for some scattered rain. After today, dry once again for another six or seven days. But very quiet as far as the weather goes across the area. Of course, we had some rainfall amounts in many areas last over the weekend, uh, three to five inches. The bulk of that rain uh, to the north of the interstate, but some locations experiencing about five inches of rain uh, with that system that moved through late Saturday night into Sunday morning yesterday, my mom would call that a gully washer, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it it was it came down hard and fast and. Uh, yep. Boy, I tell you, Overton really got, you could see the yep. areas that were low. Get really yeah, and once again, you yeah, have some flooding on Highway 30 mm-hmm. near the Overton area, and some of the roads still underwater there today. So, Jeez. 
just just uh, craziness. But uh, good to see the corn test. Yes, uh, that's starting to take hold. Uh, the heat really helping out with that. And that shot of rain yesterday, very helpful in yeah. many cases. Good timing. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. <laughs> more about the irrigation in the panhandle i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network our very own bruce gorder caught up with gary stone extension educator with the panhandle research and extension center about the system and the breach well the system uh, comprises of uh, three projects that the congress uh, started uh, the first one would be the north platte project clear back in the early 1900s and uh, that project comprised pathfinder dam Reservoir, Guernsey Dam, and its uh, water, uh, one power station at Guernsey, but then it also comprised the major water, surface water system that we have here in the North Platte Valley. Now, the engineering feat to me is is amazing because this was all done in the early 1900s after some drought years in the in the late 1800s, and the engineering to me was just amazing with what they had to work with back there and what they came up with. Absolutely. Uh, they virtually had no power equipment. Everything was done by hand or with horses, uh, teams of horses and what we call half slips or uh, uh, diggers, things like that, to move the soil, to dig the laterals and uh, ditches for this system. And also to, uh, to build the dam, the Pathfinder Dam that was uh, built. It's actually built out of a uh, granite block. And it's really a quite beautiful dam. Uh, if ever people get a chance to get up there southwest of Casper to visit it, it's uh, really something to see. Now, the North Platte River actually has its headwaters in uh, northern Colorado, but uh, the, the main part of this system uh, starts in central Wyoming, as you mentioned, with the Pathfinder Dam. How many, how many dams and reservoirs are in Wyoming on this system? I believe there's a total of seven. Uh, two of those are, three of those are regular fairly small they just regulate flow out of the larger dams uh, seminal dam would be the one at the upper reaches uh, it's about a million acre feet cordis comes down then pathfinder then alcova then gray reef uh, then glindo and then guernsey glindo was the last dam to be put in uh, it was put in basically for flood management and uh, also to store ag water to some extent, and they all serve recreational purposes. And also, there's uh, there's some power facilities on these on the system, isn't there? Everyone has a power plant. It's kind of ironic. Uh, Pathfinder Dam was the first one to go in, but it was the last one to get a power plant. Now, you mentioned agriculture water. Uh, who gets who gets the benefit from this agriculture water? How how large is this system of uh, irrigation for in Wyoming and western Nebraska? Okay, for the North Platte Valley, uh, it comprises over three hundred thousand acres of water that's watered with this surface water out of the North Platte River. Now, we I, I had a terrible incident here a week or so ago. There was a breach in, in part of the system. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened before, but uh, tell us what happened there. Okay, on uh, the south side of the river, well, let's back up. Uh, when they take water out of the river at Wayland Dam, uh, the Pathfinder Water District uh, flows to the north, and then the Goshen-Garing Fort Laramie District flows to the south. 
and it's the south uh, ditch that had the breach. Uh, they have about four tunnels along their system, and the third tunnel down along this system had a cave-in, uh, blocked the tunnel, the water backed up, and then consequently it uh, broke, up, broke over the side of the ditch and back into the river. Those comments with Gary Stone. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Hi, this is Chad Moyer. Join Steve Nelson and me for a daily cup of joe with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. We'll talk about what's happening in agriculture, and you might even learn a new tidbit of trivia you didn't know before. It's every weekday in the noon hour right here on 880 KRVN. Time for us to take a look at sports with Jason Jorgensen in studio here. And Jason, uh, defensive line expected to be one of the strengths. Maybe it's uh, because of a little sibling rivalry that'll make it good. Who a knows? little bit. We'll see. It'll be a family <laughs> affair this year with a pair of brothers looking to shore things up for the Huskers. Khalil and Carlos Davis and Darian and Damon Daniels will be key factors for the Huskers up front. And Khalil contests the two sets of siblings. We're, we're both different, but I would say Darian and Damian... They're funny, but they like they they fight a lot. So because one's younger, one's older, me and Carlos are just uh, just, just goofy. Now Darian Daniels joined the Huskers this off season as a graduate transfer after playing at Oklahoma State, and Davis says he knows exactly how to push his younger brother's buttons. They, they yell at each other like 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 full out yell, and and it, it's funny. I, I mean, Coach Tweedy told a story about we we don't really have assigned seats in the D line room, but Darian came in and sat in Damien's seat on purpose and he walked in and just ruined it like he just ruined his day he got mad and coach Tweedy was just laughing and Damien didn't speak to him the rest of the meeting he wouldn't say a word to anybody so you know Scott any of us who have a sibling can relate to that story I remember <laughs> having a discussion with Khalil Davis I think it was after the Purdue game I was there and I interviewed him and he said because Carlos had that roughing the passer penalty right. in that game and Khalil said it was stupid. It was stupid. <laughs> so, telling it like it is. Hopefully those four together, along with junior defensive end Ben Stilley and sophomore Deontre Thomas, can play better for the Huskers last year. And you ranked 12th in the league in rushing yards allowed at 195 yards per game. Cozad Red stayed alive at the B6 Seniors Baseball Tournament last night with an 11-3 win and five innings against Donovan Trumbull. They'll take on Minden in the elimination game tonight at 7. For Minden, they were one out away from knocking off top-seeded McCook before giving up two runs in the top of the seventh inning and eventually losing it 3-2. to two. Tonight's game can be heard on Kimmy Country Legends and at krvn.com. Now, McCook is hosting the Class B Juniors Tournament. McCook plays in just a little bit at one in an elimination game against Beatrice. And tonight in Lincoln, it's the annual Coaches, Nebraska Coaches Association All-Star Basketball Games. Girls game at six, boys game at eight. From the region appearing for the boys, include for the Red, it'll be Brady Danielson of York, Kate Reichardt of Aurora, and the head coach is Scott Lamberty of York. For the Blue, Jack Gehring of Grand Island Central Catholic will play along with Carson Schwartz from Kearney. And Kearney head coach Drake Baronic is one of the assistants. On the girls' side of things, playing for the Red will be Allie Bauer of Elm Creek and Lexi Verdon from St. Cecilia. And for the Blue, UNK recruit Kaylee Coomer from St. Pat. So those games are always a lot of fun, and they'll take place again tonight in Lincoln. Yeah. Good final time for some of them to get out there on the court and uh, show what they can yeah, do. One final time before most of them head on to play college ball. That is Look at Sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right, thanks, Jason. Well, it's time for us to check in on news, see what's going on around our region, and to bring that to us, there's Ellen Meyer. 
Thanks, Scott. A Kearney Police Department reports that the 32nd Annual Cruise Night events went very well. They had 249 calls for service from Friday evening through Sunday morning. There was 11 vehicles towed from the downtown area in preparation for the show and shine. KPD investigated 16 traffic accidents, three with injuries. There was also an arson investigation. The activity numbers released only reflect statistics from the Kearney Police Department. Law enforcement officers from Kearney Police Department, Buffalo County Sheriff's Office, and Nebraska State Patrol and UNK Police all collaboratively work together for cruise night. Organizers of a petition drive to legalize medical marijuana in Nebraska say they're hitting their early signature goals with the help from an all-volunteer network, but opponents are mobilizing the fight the measure, excuse me, to fight the measure if it appears on the 2020 ballot. Volunteers with Nebraskans for sensible marijuana laws have already gathered more than 15,000 signatures in their quest to place the issue before voters in the 2020 general election. Two Colorado residents being held on charges of having controlled substances and leading a short pursuit in central Nebraska Tuesday evening had their bond set Thursday in Dawson County Court in Lexington. 33-year-old Jenna Martinez was given a bond of $500,000, 10%. 27-year-old Jesus Garfio had his bond set at $1 million, 10%. The Nebraska State Patrol received a report from a motorist that a Cadillac Escalade was driving dangerously on westbound Interstate 80 near Odessa. A trooper located the vehicle as it was exiting I-80 at Elm Creek. The SUV then re-entered westbound I-80 and fled, reaching speeds of 114 miles per hour. During a 36-mile pursuit, the SUV used the shoulder to pass other vehicles, change lanes abruptly, and objects were thrown from the vehicle. Spike strips were successfully deployed near Lexington, and the vehicle came to a stop at the Cozad exit near mile marker 222. The subjects, both of Denver, were taken into custody without, ac- excuse me, without incident. The pursuit lasted approximately 20 minutes. Following the pursuit, troopers found methamphetamine, and more than $16,000 in the vehicle. Garfio was also in possession of heroin and suspected counterfeit oxycodone pills. Martinez was in possession of heroin and marijuana. A baggie of methamphetamine was recovered from the interstate. Both were arraigned on multiple drug offenses, tampering with physical evidence, and possession of drug money. Garfio was also arrested for driving under the influence of drugs, flight to avoid arrest, and willful, reckless driving. Both are being held in the Dawson County Jail. Their preliminary hearing was set for August 1st at 11 a.m. Some Nebraska and Iowa businesses are still struggling to recover from flooding that damaged their properties or otherwise kept customers away from their donors. Excuse me, from their doors. The Federal Emergency Management Agency estimated that in Nebraska alone, more than 1,000 businesses were affected by March's severe weather. Recurring flooding continued into May and June in eastern Nebraska and western Iowa, especially along the Missouri River. The Omaha World Herald reports that business boosters are saying that towns and businesses haven't been wiped out and they need customers now more than ever. And they're taking extra steps to get the word out. In Knox County in northeast Nebraska is handing out maps so visitors can navigate flood damage roads and bridge reconstruction. Harley-Davidson store in Iowa's Pacific Junction threw a party at the end of June to celebrate the dealership's return to its regular location after cleaning up and repairing soggy drywall. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Laird. Thanks, Ellen.
Momentum is building along with the excitement of raising hogs in Nebraska. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, a pork symposium was held at Northeast Community College in Norfolk, where we learned more about the expansion of the industry for the state. One of the keynote speakers was Bill Winkleman with the National Pork Board as he talked about the outlook for Nebraska. Absolutely. So what's really exciting and the reason there's an excitement is because the pork industry is expanding and growing, right? The opportunity is there and producers are continuing to look for those places where they can really grow their operations. Nebraska is a wonderful place to be able to do that um, because of previous uh, limitations that have been removed on the ability to really effectively uh, do business in Nebraska. Um, there's just been a lot of interest from a lot of our integrators, from a lot of our producers. Uh, there's plenty of space. Uh, there's all the inputs that you need, and it's got great location to, to the plants where the pigs have to be delivered. So it's just wonderful to see this opportunity really grow in Nebraska. It really sounds like kind of the, the perfect recipe, shall we say, to, to increase this. Absolutely. There's uh, so much opportunity, uh, and when our producers are looking for that ability, particularly with uh, breeding stock and sow farms, to be able to get some separation, some distance, so you've got all of this great space where you can really get some isolation from a uh, biosecurity and health uh, herd health standpoint. But then on top of that, also there's the opportunity for finishing pigs again, just because of that opportunity with not only uh, the availability of the feed, but also the the close proximity to where to market. And I think the the mentorship that is there and the ability for these younger producers to look to folks who've been in this industry. So this is exciting for me that we're on campus at a community college. I think that community colleges and technical schools are some of the best uh, places that we can go to get young people to come back in our industry. Um, it's quite well documented that labor is a challenge. We have a hard time finding enough labor. Uh, our immigration policy is a mess. And so we have to find these other, we have to find these young people, right, that um, we can get interested in being part of our industry, show them that they can stay local, that they can have great careers, opportunities for advancement, and live where they want to live, right? Kids that go to community college, technical schools, typically want to stay within the footprint of where they grew up. And we need to let them know that the pork industry is a real opportunity for them. So what are some things that the pork industry, National Pork Board, all the way down to the state organizations doing to pull those kids in? Yeah, so we actually have a labor task force that we just started uh, this past November, made up of several state associations, including Nebraska Pork, but also several of our um, larger pork producers. And we asked them, if we were to help out with labor, what's the number one thing that we could do? And they said, give us resources and things that we can use to effectively talk to high schools. And so uh, this summer, we've been shooting a day in the life videos with a number of young people who went direct that are great examples of they went directly from high school or a community college directly working for a a pork production company and so it's like it's snippets of uh, this is the day in my life and here's why I do what I do and here's why I like it those videos can then be used by our state associations or our pork producers to, as a way to talk with young people in the high schools and then I'll, in addition to that um, we're creating curriculum that actually goes just a little bit further that helps that ag instructor or that career counselor talk in a little bit more detail about what it's really about today because so many of our rural kids just don't really know today what 
what those opportunities are. I was going to say, how exciting to have that tool that's there for, for not only the, the high school, but the college student at the technical colleges to say, you don't have to have land to be in, in production. Absolutely. So um, that oppor- I think that we can continue to show those folks that the opportunity to stay local, have a, um, have a, a, a economically viable way to make a living, right? Live in their local community, be close to their families. And then really, these companies all present great growth opportunities too, right? So you may come in at an entry level, but the opportunity to advance and even further your career um, are there. And so I think they're just a great story that can be shared there um, that we really got to get more kids excited about. Well, you talk about that excitement, and that's definitely going to continue to grow as folks find out the, the ease of the process has become versus what it was in the past to try to do expansion. Yeah, so if we go beyond just the labor side and we just think about the ability for young people to come back to the farm and find a way to, um, you know, add on to what their operations are already do already have that don't necessarily mean that we have to buy more land or expand only on the row crop side but we actually have this really great way to not only create another source of income through contract finishing but also have a byproduct that comes from that that uh, helps us uh, even make our costs more effective on our row crop farm because we don't have to buy commercial fertilizer. We've got a great source of manure. Uh, as a fertilizer, there's just so many positives there. And with some of the barriers that have been removed, this is this is a great time for our row crop farmers to think about the opportunity to, um, you know, have a contract finishing market. I was going to say, maybe tie into that, that recent graduate of community college to say, hey, I want to do this. You've got some experience. Let's work together. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. So um, that's what our producers are looking for. If you, co- if you can come back and you have some experience or you can demonstrate some knowledge. Those comments coming from Bill Winkleman of the National Pork Board. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at our markets and see what's happening for us and around the world. And let's begin overseas. The Japanese Nikkei index on the overnight was down 50. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 388 points. However, the London FTSE is up uh, about six points right now, and the German DAX index is up 29. Here in the United States, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up just a little bit at 14. The NASDAQ is up. 56 points and the S&P is up nine. We're joined by Dave Schroeder to help us make sense of all of this. You say, uh, well, even though oil prices up a little bit, gas prices down. Indeed it is. Uh, On the week, all but eight states uh, in the U.S. saw gas price averages push cheaper or remain stable at $2.76. The national gas price average is three cents less expensive than last Monday, and this is the first time in four weeks that the national average has seen a weekly decline. Uh, Nebraska, as a matter of fact, saw a four-cent decrease in gas prices since last week. The uh, AAA says that gas stocks remain robust amid a recent dip in demand, but uh, it's too early to know if this is going to be a long-term trend of uh, decreasing gas prices. Equifax will pay up to $700 million to settle with the Federal Trade Commission and others over a 2017 data breach that exposed Social Security numbers and other private information of nearly 150 million people. 
If approved, the proposed settlement with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau will provide up to $425 million in monetary relief to consumers and a $100 million civil money penalty along with other relief. Aides on both sides say negotiations between the Trump administration and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on a critical debt and budget bill are on the cusp of a deal. The aides who spoke on condition of anonymity say that the tentative deal would restore the government's ability to borrow into the next administration and build upon recent large budget gains for both the Pentagon and domestic agencies. And we do like to watch uh, sporting good uh, stories as well. L.L. Bean is poised to open its first store in Canada. The main-based retailer says the store will open just outside of Toronto. The retailer announced last year that it would be looking to open stores in Canada over the next decade. That's an update of Business News. I'm Dave Schroeder. Thanks a lot, Dave. Some of the gainers right now on stocks. Halliburton is up 70, or excuse me, 7 points. And one of the losers, CenturyLink, is down 3. I'm Dewey Nelson inviting you to take a productive visit to KRVN Cattlemen. 100% beef-oriented, KRVN Cattlemen brings you expertise from across the plains in audio and video spotlights featuring industry innovators. Handy Nebraska and Kansas cattle resources, including the inventory, cattle on feed, and slaughter numbers you need, plus hay reports for five states. You'll find a complete directory of upcoming auctions and private treaty sales. Click on the link for KRVN Cattlemen on the right front column of the homepage at krvn.com. Corn farmers take to Washington, D.C. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. The 2019 National Corn Growers Association's Corn Congress wrapped up last Thursday. Brandon Honeycutt, a farmer from Gilner, Nebraska, was part of the event. We began our conversation by discussing what Corn Congress is. Sure, Corn Congress is one of the two times a year we get together from National Corn Growers Association. They bring the delegate bodies in from the state, the representative states, and we we work on resolutions, we work on, on you know, what's going to go on in the organization and really give direction and guidance for the, actually the next six months, seven months, and then we'll do it again in March at Commodity Classic. Part of the time in Washington, D.C. was dedicated to committee work. So I chair Engaging Members Committee. It's a little bit of a different makeup than the rest of the action teams or a standing committee of the National Corn Board. It's actually chaired by five people off the Corn Board versus um, farmers in general. Um, and so it's been, basically it's a one-year term. Although the committee is consolidating with another, the group focused on a variety issue. Yeah, so our, we oversee a handful of areas, mainly leadership development, um, the scholarship that, that NCGA gives out. You know, we, we do the grassroots advocacy, that those, those areas, and we also deal with diversity and, and inclusion. Um, just, just some different areas, it's kind of all over the boards, but how can we really help the membership body and you know we do look at membership benefits etc some things to help the membership out with more than forty thousand dues paying farmers nationwide brandon says there are still some ways to grow the national corn growers association you know that's that's a great question to, to how we're going to grow the, the membership we, we've noticed a little bit of a downtrend uh, we're still in really strong strong shape but that's what we're really looking at is how can we how can we grow this we're going to these tough financial times you know there's a lot of issues out there that that really affect corn farmers and farmers in general, I think it gives us an opportunity to really show uh, corn farmers what we do and hopefully increase the membership just by being out here in Washington, D.C., going, showing them that we're going to the Hill. We're really, um, we're really out here on the voice on their behalf, not just for those delegation in Nebraska, but we're also reaching out to non-corn states 
to make sure that they understand the key issues as well. For Brandon, it was simply showing up that led to his leadership roles. Yeah, you know, it goes back to, you know, we always talk about either being asked or just showing up. And I happened to, in reality, showed up at a meeting. They needed a state rep from, from Hamilton County. I said, I'll do it. And from there, just kind of took off and decided, well, I'd like to be more involved. So got involved uh, by being a delegate and then being involved in different action teams here, here at a level. And, and a couple years ago, ran for the National Corn Board and, and have chaired different action teams over the years. And so it's been a been a good process but it was just more of that showing up at the right time he encourages each corn farmer to become involved in the national corn growers association you know i think first and foremost is really we we, we would love your membership from a from a state level and a national level we, we need those voices we need to be able we're, we're a small voice but we but we are a powerful voice and we need to make sure that we keep that power there um, to make sure that if you have questions if you have concerns you know reach out to, to either the growers association or the or the checkoff board in, in Nebraska just to make sure that your voice is being heard because we need to know what's going on out in the countryside. We're more than willing to take those those questions, those comments, those concerns up to Capitol Hill. What else would you like to add about Corn Congress? Yeah, Corn Congress is always an exciting time. It's a fun time to get to see people from all over the country, see what's going on, help help to uh, make some decisions, um, and, and listen to people we don't necessarily get to, to listen to and meet people we don't necessarily get to see on a daily basis. That was Brandon Honeycutt, a farmer from Giltner, Nebraska, as we caught up in Washington, D.C. at the 2019 National Corn Growers Association's Corn Congress. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Rural infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us August 6th from 3 to 4 p.m. and 2 to 3 Mountain Time on 880 KRVN. We'll talk with experts from the national, state, and local level about the condition of the roads and bridges across Nebraska, not only in light of the recent floodings, but also into the future. Then we'll dive in and discuss rural broadband internet, the challenges faced by rural producers, and more. It's rural infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband on the next Rural Radio Forum. Grain markets today gave back all those gains we saw last Friday. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It appears that percentage-wise, Chicago wheat led the way down. Yeah, we really saw kind of a crack in that market here as harvest ramps up this past weekend. Um you know, Casey leading the way, really, it's been a pretty nasty move the last couple of days. That's, you know, barring Friday, you know, everything was up, was it Thursday, Friday last week, then kind of came all the way back down last night. Um, this is the low from last week, really, for for the for the winter wheat market. So to hold here, if, we, if we've got to hold here, uh, KC-wise. And uh, as KC falls, it's going to put more pressure on corn, corn having, you know, very little to buy into here. Um, outside of the story that's really been traded for the last three to four months, um, I don't know. It's I'd like to be bullish here, but you, you got the scars that that you have from the last couple of years weighing overhead with um, you know the amount of bushels that 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 I think all farmers own on paper here. It scares me that we're going to maybe push down below 420, maybe washing people out, and then probably rally from there. That would be my thought. Well, we've got pollination in progress, of course, but today, poor export inspections for corn. So, do the funds liquidate then their long positions? Oh, I don't think they're going to liquidate based off that alone. That's been the case really going back to the beginning part of June. We haven't we haven't been hitting pace at all. But you know, 
we need to ration demand, especially at this price relative to where the, the supply is uh, overseas. So that's why I think what you're seeing here. But again, you're not talking about a tremendous amount of corn. Maybe 10 million bushels a week. So over the last 10 weeks, if we've lost 10 a week, you're talking about 100 million bushels that'll come off the export number in the next USDA report. That's a fraction of of an acre, or a fraction of of what we're looking at per million acres as far as yield goes. So I don't look at that being the big driver here. I, I really think it's just about the lack of a weather story combined with doing what it should have done a year ago. And and again, a year ago. So 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, we, this, this leads to some big liquidation event. So that's what, that's what I'm fearful of is that the market is now squaring and looking at production in the next couple of weeks. Is going to say yield is, is going to be a little better. Now the acreage numbers will still be a wild guess, and we won't know that till the next report. But you can see the market, you know, liquid out on four dollars till then. Uh, short term, uh, again, the margin that, that farmers hold on on paper here scares me. So I look for a quick test of four twenty, and then from there, if it breaks, it maybe maybe a further push. But for right now, I, I think we've made the majority of the move. John Payne, senior marketing analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com.